Good morning, and uh, guys, thank you very much for having me here this morning. Um, I've got a bit of history with uh, the church here. We were part, in fact, one of the, um, my early experiences as a spirit-filled Christian, uh, shaping experiences, was being part of the launch team for Sutton Family Church, and um, Steve's asked me to speak about the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit was instrumental in stopping us being part of this church. We, we, we had an amazing experience going away with the launch team, and we thought we were going to be coming to Sutton. And in one day, the Holy Spirit spoke to a number of people to say that we weren't to come to Sutton, we were to stay in Wimbledon. Uh, he spoke to my wife, he spoke to my mum, and he spoke to the elders. And the one person who didn't seem to hear from the Holy Spirit was me. Uh, but ever since then, I've just kept my eye on the church. Uh, I know Steve and Claire well, um, Pete and Mary as well. So I, honestly, it's a privilege. And these guys led us magnificently just now, didn't they? It's fantastic to be with you. Uh, you. In this kind of age that we're living in, you can sound like a snake oil salesman or like an advertising executive if you say that you know, what you're going to share, what I'm going to talk to you about, could change your life forever. But when you talk about the Holy Spirit, um, and I'm sure you guys talk about him every week and get into him and all those kinds of things, but anytime you talk about the Holy Spirit, you are talking about a gift that can and should and even will, if you'll allow him, Change your life radically every single day, every single day. And I, I, it's a great privilege to talk to you um, about him. I'm going to just share three pictures that will set the tone for kind of where we're going um, this morning. Again, nothing new in a way. Uh, some of you guys have been Christians a lot longer than me. Um, but I've become more and more convinced that if we're to become effective, fruitful Christians, we have to be expert in our subject. We have to run the race well. And, you know, world-class class athletes run the same track again and again and again. They run it more than anyone else. And as a Christian, you, you can't get enough of coming back to the cross, of coming back to the Holy Spirit and coming back to these core things that we believe. You, you've got to keep running around them, running around them. So I make no apology for um, talking simply to you this morning. And then at the end, I'll hopefully lead us into a response where we can, all of us, experience more of the Holy Spirit this morning, myself included. But three pictures... A confession, I've got a horrible, um, horrible affliction, uh, a horrible affliction. I'm dealing with it by the grace of God and with input from my wife, uh, but I, I, ha- I get separation anxiety from my iPhone. Uh, if, if, if you've got a, a smartphone, I know I'm not alone, so I am dealing with this. It's much better than it used to be. Um, we had a guy stay in our house last, week, uh, last year from Chicago, and I said to my wife, he's constantly on his phone, like he's eating with us, we're talking, and he just whips his phone out, and she's like, Yes. And I said, no, no, he's always on his phone. She's like, yes. And then I got it, a penny dropped. So I, I'm dealing with this. Um, but you see, look, if, if you can read this, someone stole my iPhone. Uh, that's me. Like, do you, do you, I won't even ask you. I know if you're a smartphone user, they even call you medium users, heavy users. They use drugs terminology. You know what I'm talking about. Well, Holy Spirit, should, should, if you're not aware of him with you in, in any given moment, you should have that kind of feeling, not an anxiety but just a desire to have him with you. you. You don't even need your phone and you feel anxious when you're separated from it in this day and age. It's ridiculous. But the Holy Spirit is not a gift to be experienced on a Sunday or just even when he prompts you. The gift is to be experienced all the time. All the time. And to the extent that if we don't feel him with us, he, he's always there, but we want to do something about it. We want him back close with us. We want that awareness of him. This is an internet meme like a boss I drove like a boss, I ate that pizza like a boss, I preached like a boss. It just means you did something really confidently and really, really well. So sorry for bringing you into the murky world of internet memes if you're not familiar with it. If you, if you hang around wealthy people or successful people, there's nothing wrong with this, it's just a fact of life. 
they often carry a confidence with them and a manner and a posture about them that's different from other people. They, they've got problems. If you're a pastor, you know that they have all the problems that anyone else has and plus past, you know, problems that come with being successful and wealthy as well. So they're just human like everyone else. But they carry with them a posture and a confidence that changes how they interact with people. Guys, I want to tell you, if the Holy Spirit is with you, it should change everything about your manner, your peace that you carry, the way you speak to different people, the way you stand, literally. It's not a gift to be intellectually understood. And this is my final picture. It's a gift that should change everything about who you are, moment to moment. And this third picture, this poor chick counting the days until he's released from his egg. This is a... A really helpful insight from a guy called Sander Singh. The Wisdom of the Sadhu is his book. You can even download it nowadays. A Hindu guy who got saved, became a Christian and became a traveling sadhu, which is a Hindu wise man. But he, he preached Christ wherever he went and ended up in Western Europe and then disappeared in Tibet. But he, he taught this thing, amazing thing. He said that uh, just as a chick inside an egg has no conception, no idea of the world around it. It just knows that kind of funny light quiet in there, the amniotic sac, the embryonic fluid, whatever an egg looks like inside, that's all the world it knows. Outside of the eggshell, there's rivers, there's sunlight, there's wind, there's other chicks to play with, there's all, all sorts of things. It can't even conceive of them. And he said, our five senses are like that. These five senses we have with which we interact with the material world, they're, they're such a blessing. People who miss one of those senses are missing a lot, Right? There's such a blessing to interact with the material world, to, bring it, to understand it, to experience it. But they're like the eggshell because there is a greater reality of God. There's a spiritual reality which is more colourful, more solid, more vibrant than the five senses, the world we experience with our five senses. And, and what I want to lay before you this morning, however long you've been a Christian, is that, and if you're not a Christian, man, this is, you need to hear it and understand this is what Christianity is about. What I want to lay before you is that that, that spiritual experience should be more solid, more, more life-changing, more affirming, more something for you to stand on, something for you to experience than anything you can imagine. To, to the extent that day by day by day, until we see him and return to him, we should experience more and more of it and explore that world more and more and more. When we were worshipping just now, um, God just brought me back to these verses. In, uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 and 9, it starts. This isn't what we're going to preach about. Just, he brought me back to them. In the Old Testament... God says in Isaiah, what no eye, uh, he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived of the things that God has in store for those that love him. It's like God's promises, his blessings for you are much bigger than you could ever imagine. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, he turns it around and he says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived of, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. Human beings are trapped in that egg of five senses and you know, science has shown us there are things outside of the bacteria and all sorts of stuff, wavelengths and things that don't fit within that experience. But God says, no, there's a whole world to be explored and the spirit reveals those things to us. It's a reality. So I, this isn't an intellectual experience. Um, I'm going to bring some thoughts and ideas, but primarily my prayer is that we experience the spirit together as we have this morning, but in a, in a new way. So I've confessed my, um, my horrible affliction Guys, again, I'll say, if you're a Christian, let's do this together. I, I'm going through an experience at the moment uh, where daily I'm seeking God in the morning in a new way and just saying, God, if you are with me, my, life should, my day should look different. Would you lead me in an adventure today? Would you do something? Uh, I wasn't even going to share this, but I'll share it. Uh, free, this is quite a dangerous prayer, I've, but I've seen people healed, people get saved. Like four weeks ago was hilarious. I, I'm, 
wanting to preach more in the streets. So I was in Victoria Station and I said, Lord, my meeting got cancelled in Kingston. I didn't have to be back. I thought, I'm going to prayer walk through Westminster. I used to work on Victoria Street, Westminster City Council. So I prayed in Victoria Station, Lord, do something now. I've got time. I want to walk with you, talk with you, do something. Ten minutes later, I was, I was outside the Apollo Theatre and Victoria Station where Little Ben is, if you know that, little traffic island, preaching through a microphone, <laughs> 10 minutes after praying the prayer, God just, I, I, I'll tell you afterwards how it happened. Basically, I met some Christians. The guy said, brother, you need to preach and shoved this microphone in my hand. You pray and you expect God to do things and the reality of life, your life will change fundamentally. So I'm sharing that because I'm on that journey at the moment and I want every day in my life to look different and to make a difference because God is with me. So John, Holy Spirit was speaking through you when we prayed earlier. We, uh, John said about a key. You give him a key. Well, I've got here written in my notes, a tiny key can open a massive door. And I want to literally just focus in on one verse today. Uh, And this is the little key that will open a big door for us, I think. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25. So simple. Such a little verse. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If If you're not familiar with the Bible... Galatians is basically, it's an amazing book in the New Testament. It's a letter from Paul, a guy who knew everything about God. He was a Pharisee and a leader of uh, the Jewish people, very intellectual. He knew everything about God, but he didn't know God to the extent that when he met God on the road to Damascus and he said, why are you persecuting me? He's got blinding light. He's been thrown off his horse. He said, who are you, Lord? (laughs) He thinks he knows him. He knows everything about him. He didn't recognize him when God came to him. And God said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting filled him with the Holy Spirit, got him saved, and Paul became one of the big, biggest evangelists ever. He took it all over the gospel all over the known world. So he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, and a big focus of it, it's like this verse is like a jewel in a wonderful crown. I love the book of Galatians. It's quick. I read it on Tuesday morning again. You can just read it. It's, it's just six chapters, I think. It's very short. But he focuses in on this gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and how the basis of us receiving it and all those kinds of things. So have a read of it in your own time. But Just to give you the context, that's what he's writing in this letter. And this little nugget, this thing that you could just gloss over. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So I just want to talk, first of all, about this gift. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? And I particularly want to talk about the roots and shoots of it. Again, nothing new here. Uh, I've been a Christian properly walking with God, I think, for about 15 years. And I spent about seven of those years just not understanding what I'm about to share with you now. I, I felt like God had forgiven me when I gave my life to Jesus and was constantly fed up with me because I kept getting everything wrong. I mean, I really got stuff wrong. My uh, years after being, I've been walking with Jesus for 15 years. I got baptized about 17 years ago. So I had two years in, of awful uh, trying to live as a Christian, wasn't going to church. I didn't even know a local church, um, but I knew I wanted to follow Jesus, making horrendous mistakes. And I want to just share something about these roots because You've got to understand that the gospel, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not, a, is not a part of the gospel. It's not an added extra or a bonus of the gospel. It is the gospel. The good news is that us being unable to reach God, God gave himself to us. And he gives himself to us in the form of Jesus dying on the cross for us. I mean, an incredible gift that looks blasphemous when you really look at it. How can God become a man? Part of my family are Muslim. They say it is blasphemy for God to have the idea that God could have a son, the idea that God could go to the toilet, the idea that God could die on a cross. It's blasphemous. We're so familiar with it. It is outrageous that God would do that, the gift of himself. Through Jesus, he gives us himself as a father 
Luke 11, Jesus says, teach us, that his disciples teach us to pray. When you pray, pray like this, our Father. He gives himself to you. He calls you as, as sons and daughters through adoption. He gives you new life through new birth. All those things are mysterious, but he gives himself to you and says, I am your Father forever now. And then he gives himself to us through the, through the Holy Spirit. It's not an add-on. It's not like a cape you wear. It, the Bible talks in terms of being clothed with power from on high, but fundamentally it's God saying, I, I want to give myself to you completely. And that's what he does in the Holy Spirit. And to really understand it and to experience it, you need to understand something about the gospel because the roots of the gospel lie in two things. One, our complete failure in the sight of God, our weakness, complete weakness in the sight of God. And two, the complete strength, perfect strength of God's solution for it. And I'm just going to chuck out two verses that for me literally transformed my Christian life. They're, they're like two swords you can wield in the face of anything that says you're not a good Christian, you're failing, you, God doesn't love you. These are my two swords that I use against that. The first one is um, Proverbs 17.5, where this, just an Old Testament verse, like a throwaway verse again, it says there are two things God detests. He hates acquitting the guilty and he hates condemning the innocent. And you read it and it sounds like, yeah, I get with that. I don't like acquitting guilty, uh, acquitting guilty people or condemning innocent people either. That's fine. I'm with that. I'm with you there, God. Even, even non-Christians would say, well, that's the kind of God, of course. If there is a God, you want him to be like that. Don't acquit the guilty. Don't condemn the innocent. Not only does he not do it, he hates it. He hates it. But then you have a problem because my seven-year understanding of Christianity was that God condemned innocent Jesus to forgive and acquit guilty me, right? So how does he do what he hates? It says in Isaiah, it pleased the father to crush his son on the cross. He didn't, it was painful and he was grieved and the sky went black and Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? And there was separation. It was painful, but it pleased the father to crush his son because through it he crushed sin and defeated death. So how do you reconcile that view of Christianity with this truth? He hates acquitting guilty people. He hates condemning innocent people. Well, the, the other sword, the answer is in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Seriously, like, my understanding of Christianity was that he'd forgiven me, I kept screwing up, I kept messing up. These two verses tell you that he hasn't just forgiven you, he has literally, Jesus wasn't innocent on the cross, sounds like blasphemy again, doesn't it? Honestly, the crucifixion of Christ sounds like blasphemy any which way you look at it, if you, if you look at it with fresh eyes. He became, he knew no sin all his life. He lived a perfect, righteous life. Even that, you, God, is, he, God does compartmentalize things. You, it literally is, it means he never had a bad thought. He never said a bad word. He never did a wrong deed. How did he do that if he was really a human? I, I even asked him once, and I, I didn't even ask him. I was washing up, and, and I just thought, honestly, is this real or not? If Jesus really was a guy like me, how did he never think a bad thought you know if he was really human come on like this i wasn't even talking to him washing up and his voice came in my ear and he said there was no room for sin and i was like whoa you know god speaks a few words to you a little key and it unlocks a huge door what he meant was and i got it straight away jesus was always speaking to his father there's no sin in speaking to your father or listening to his father or doing what the father was doing there was literally it was an active life pursuing God and revealing God, that meant there was no room for sin. Potential for sin, you can debate about that forever if you want, but he really was human, and the reason he didn't sin was because he pursued God at, at every step. So Jesus lived that perfect life. He who knew no sin, 
But on the cross, he became sin for us. And God's crushed and defeated sin permanently and forever in his son, Jesus. He didn't condemn innocent Jesus. He crushed sin in his son who became sin for us. And so he doesn't acquit a guilty you. This incredible transformation happens when you become a Christian. When you're born again, all your sin, past, present and future, you've heard it before, but guys, some of you need to let it sink in. All of your sin, past, present and future, is gone as far as the east is from the west. There is nothing, nothing to separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Never. You know, all your sins that you committed before you became a Christian were committed 2,000 years after Christ died. So if you can get your head around that, you can get your head around the sin that you committed this morning means that when you run back to him today, he will welcome you with open arms. The prodigal son story, we all know it, right? This son who says, you know what, dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. The father gives him half of his inheritance. He runs off, squanders it all, has friends who aren't really friends, lives with the pigs, thinks, you know what, I'm going to go back and be a servant. And his father runs out to meet him, covered in muck, so sinful as he was, and says, my son is dead and he was dead and now he's alive. God does that every time a Christian sins. You grieve the Holy Spirit when you sin, but you're not cut off from him. You don't lose access to him. You don't lose God as your father. You don't lose his smile and his comfort. And some of you need to hear that and nothing else this morning. Those are the roots of salvation. Is that okay? It's a powerful thing because the shoots of salvation are this transformed life in the Holy Spirit, which, as I said, I'm not coming here saying, guys, I've got this sorted out. In the last two years and then again in the last six weeks, it's like God keeps ratcheting it up. And, and the way he does it is I read in the Bible what salvation is meant to look like, what church is meant to look like. And it's messy people blundering around with this magnificent God in them and around them, leading them, doing incredible, transforming things in the world. It's not an afterthought or a comma in the story of the world. It is the center of everything that God is doing on the earth, the church. Christians should change things wherever they go, wherever they go. So I'm on a journey with you guys. I'm not standing here. I'll share a bit of that. But you've got to understand those roots. If you're not a Christian today, this can sound like philosophy and theology and theorizing and stuff like that. I want to say to you that the moment you give your life to Jesus properly and you are born again, it's like the eggshell cracks and you can come into an awareness of God. You can hear his voice. You can be changed in an instant. I say that with every confidence. You can have that experience today if you don't know him. Literally, it's not an intellectual thing. It's an experiential thing. The Bible says in the Old Testament, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the New Testament, it's like the temple curtain was ripped that separated God's presence from everyone. And God came. Jesus even saying to his disciples who'd walked with him for three years, he said, it's better for me that I go. And they're like, how can it be better? We've got you here now teaching us and laughing with us and eating with us. How can it be better? He said, no, no, it's better. It's better for you that I leave you because I'll speak to my father and he'll send the comforter. And the promise for every believer after Jesus ascended into heaven is that you can have a closer walk with Jesus Christ. You know, you read about, when I was a kid, you read these stories and you close the last page and you're like, oh, I really enjoyed that adventure. People pay for Marvel movies and the cinema and everything because they want that. They want a journey with exciting people for an hour and a half or three hours is the fad now, isn't it? Lord of the Rings and all that. And then it's gone. You read about Jesus Christ and he's there with you when you close the book. That's, you know, we, we often think if Jesus was in our church, if he was in my life group, my life would be incredible. Jesus said, it's better for you that I'm not in your life group. 
because I'm with each of, your, each of you, each of your hearts. And, and as I'm sent in John 17, so I now send you. That means you're sent in power, but more than that, it means you're sent as a son or daughter of God, completely with him, one with him, never cut off from him. So I don't want to labour the point, but it's not an intellectual experience. I was sharing yesterday at the um, academy uh, this thing that's been hitting me for the last couple of years. I preached on the parable of the fig tree, this Jesus cursing this tree that was all leaves and no fruit. I've got a fig tree in my garden, and the way it comes is the fruit grows first and then the leaves. So if there's leaves, even if it's out of season, the figs should be there. And Jesus went and cursed this thing, and it was, it was a picture of empty religion. He's just gone into Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem people are praising him and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the king. There's, there's, a, there's a leaves of religion there as he goes into Jerusalem. He comes out, sees this tree, goes over to inspect it, because there's all the sign of fruit. There's no fruit. He curses, may you never bear fruit again. And there is a link to Jerusalem, because the same people then cry out, crucify me. The temple is destroyed in AD 70. It's like that happened to it's not Israel. There's promises for Israel still. God is with. He loves. His promises never fail, whoever he's made them to. But there's something there, and there's a warning for the church. Because in the UK, everywhere you go, there's signs for this church and that church. There's church buildings everywhere. It's all the leaves of religion, but no fruit. And I, I, just preaching through that passage, I remember being at school as a primary school kid and learning the Lord's Prayer. Now, I get that. I mean, I learned it. I got it wrong because I used to, used to pray for about a year. I prayed, deliver us from England, thinking I'd, I'd, mis, I'd misheard it. But can you imagine? Luke 11, Jesus says, teach us to pray. And it's like Satan has robbed the people of the United Kingdom because in schools, even now, they're not even getting taught that. I was taught that prayer by rote. And it's a prayer that says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's, a, it's an amazing prayer. But I was taught it without any teaching that God wants to be your dad. He wants that intimacy with you. He wants well for you. Nothing like that. You read Luke 10, the chapter before. Before they've even learned to pray, Jesus sends the 72 out. And he says, go in my name and you'll do miracles. Go and cast out demons. Go and heal the sick. And the 72 come back. One of them's Judas, for goodness sake. They come back and they're rejoicing. Even the demons submit to us in your name, Jesus. That's Christianity. That's the power of God coming. Satan can't stand against it. Sickness can't stand against the authority of Jesus. That is amazing. And then Jesus says to them, don't rejoice about that. There's something even more amazing. Your names are written in the book of life. Wow, that's even more amazing. And then Luke 11, even more amazing. How do we pray? When you pray, pray our Father. Your Father in heaven. It's like... The thing we're missing, we think, is the most amazing, the miracles and stuff like that. No, the most amazing thing is God is your father. Your name is written in the book of life. You're going to be with him forever. And he is with you to do miracles and signs and wonders. He, he wants to... Yeah, everything, everything. Let me speak to you leaders for a moment because everything you want for your church, God wants it more than you. He really does. He really, really, really does. So what have I put up here? I'm... <laughs> Roots and shoots, we've talked about. He's the, you've been doing this paraclesis thing. I've kind of touched on this, so I'll just whiz through them really quickly. But he is the perfect companion for all the reasons I've just said. I mean, he is, this is the thing I want you to practice, and I'm learning to practice myself. He is with you right now. You have a meeting of three leaders talking about church and where we go. God is in the room, graciously quiet, letting them get on with stuff, waiting for them to turn to him and say, Lord, what do we do? But he doesn't mind. He's there. We're sitting here now. You're listening to me. God is graciously letting me blunder my way through my talk. But he's sitting there with each one of you. God who created the universe. 
is with you now and has a plan for you and actually created you and saved you for a peculiar, peculiar, very peculiar for some of us, but a specific purpose. That is amazing, isn't it? Perfect paraclete. He is with you. And not only is he with you, he's not begrudging. He says, I made you as you are. You don't understand it, but I have a particular path for you to walk. That is, it's magnificent. And we're going to walk it together. He's limitless. God gives the spirit without limit. Jesus promised it in John 3, 34. Someone referenced John 7 earlier. Rivers of living water to flow from the believer's heart. It's, it's limitless in two ways. One, because he's God. This is why, however long you've been walking in faith, you can never get enough of learning about God and the Holy Spirit. Because there, there are no limit to his glories and his majesties and his characteristics. Always something new to discovering God. He's old. He's always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's, for us who are finite, he is always new. His mercies are always new. He's limitless in that way. He's limitless, let me say it again, in the fact that nothing you do, if you're a Christian, can stop you receiving a blessing from the Holy Spirit. That's not me trying to work things up or be encouraging. That is in the Bible. That the atrocious murder of Jesus Christ was the low point of human history. God sent his son to the world and we murdered him. There is no blacker sin, no darker day in human history. Whatever you think your worst sin is or was, literally, if you murdered someone, it's not as bad as the fact that you're complicit in the murder of Jesus Christ. And so on a scale, your sin fits somewhere within that. The worst sin you did was being complicit in in the murder of Jesus Christ. And that blackest day of human history became the brightest day for human history. Where are you going to run from that? If you're in Christ, nothing you can do will separate you from the love of God. Isn't that amazing? Hey, So, that's a, a bit by way of a preamble. I won't preach for three hours, I promise. But I want to talk about living by the Spirit really quickly and then get practical about keeping in step with Him. So this is the up picture. <laughs> amazing. Uh, I don't know, don't know that I want to even talk about that film. But it's, it's, a, it's a spectacular sight when you watch it. It's not even one of their best movies. But this thing, balloons being lifted up and, and supporting this amazing house. Guys, anything that entertainment tries to sell you, this is something God spoke to me about yesterday, it's like, it, it, it's, it whispers these words to you, movies, games, anything. They whisper these words to you, they say, this is brighter and better. Even advertising. You watch this stuff and implicit in it is saying, your life is drab and dreary compared to this. It's really weird. God really powerfully spoke to me about that yesterday. I love movies and all that. I love Netflix. It's another confession. <laughs> but but there's, it, it's speaking to a heart saying, your life is drab and dreary. This is brighter and better. The promise of God is always brighter and better. And in fact, just, I mean, we can whiz through those titles really quickly. It's essential. Jesus said, on my own, I can do nothing. I only do what I see the Father doing. If you're doing any part of your Christian life alone, and we do it all the time, so I'm not pointing fingers, we all Still try and get on in our own strength. Read Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? You started by faith in the spirit and now you're trying to do it in your own strength. Paul is scathing. We need to be a bit scathing with ourselves. It's a loving scathing. It's not beat yourself up. It's come back to the spirit of God. It is essential that you are plugged into him and hear his voice for every step of what you're doing. And it's not only essential. If you turn yourself just slightly to hear his voice and to catch his glance at every moment, 
He's there and he speaks and he does the most amazing things. It's essential. It's transforming. Absolutely should transform and make all the difference. This, has been, this is the, the leaves with no fruit again. Jesus said, you, you, he is the light of the world. But he said to his people, you are the light of the world. You're salt in the world. You're meant to stand out like a sore thumb. We've, I've been talking about this on Academy as well. Suddenly loads of pressure to get on and do it. And we are going to do it. I'm convinced that one of, the thing, one of the reasons the church isn't growing as it ought to the promise of the gospel in the UK. We don't preach to strangers anymore. We don't preach to strangers. They've done it throughout history, and it was never easy. In fact, it's in the Bible. They got stoned for it. They got whipped and put in prison for it. They had their houses taken away, but they still did it. They proclaimed the gospel. I'm not even talking about holding a Bible and preaching. I'm talking about intentionally going out. Another confession. We're planting into Croydon in September. I've had three trips into Croydon, the first time with um, Phil, our lead pastor. And on the way in on the tram, I said, Phil, at any other age in history, and Phil is a great leader, I love him to bits, and he loves Jesus, and he's following Jesus, and we're seeing miracle because of that. But I said, at any other point in Christian history, two leaders going into a new town to start a church would go in the power of God and see miracles happen and preach the gospel in that moment. They wouldn't go for a coffee and to have a little recce about what's happening and to look on buildings. I was being honest. I'm being honest with you now. It's true. So the next time I went, I said that to Michael. Sorry, just two visits, in fact. And we prayed together. Lord, do, give us something. Do it, give us an encounter with your kingdom today when we go into Croydon. In the power of the Spirit, do something. Two hours in, I said to Michael, those two, those two people have come up and talked to me out of the blue, just randomly started talking to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, hello. Uh. I missed what God was... I'd asked him... He set me up, cued me up beautifully for two conversations and I missed them. So I'm like, right, the next person that speaks to us or that I, I feel, I'm going to go and preach the gospel to them. So a chugger came up, you know, the charity muggers. And she came up and she said, um, she said, hello, can I interest you? Can I chat with you? So I was like, right, Lord, well, let's do this thing. Okay, so not sledgehammer, but within a couple of minutes, I'd introduced the fact that we were looking because we we're going to plant a new church. Oh, she goes, oh, I used to hate religion. I love it now. Oh, two years ago, I got invited to my friend's, uh, friend's church. I didn't want to go. I kept not wanting to. But I went and I fell in love with Jesus. Toppy's church. Yeah. Enfield in Jubilee at New Frontiers Church. And it was a God encounter. I didn't get to lead her to the Lord, but it was God saying, I'm at work all the time. All the time. It's transforming. Should transform every bit, and it should totally be incredible. I want to just say to you again: you check yourselves in this. Our ten- tendency as as human beings, and if you're English, sorry, you're double stuffed. I consider myself English, even though I don't look at it. English people are very belittling of things. We like to diminish. It's part of our humour. It's part of the way we cope with the world. We like to make things smaller than they are. If the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, is in you, it is magnificent. It's incredible. It took, like I said, I love Netflix. Netflix and the cinemas are full of these shows at the moment about super enhanced human beings. Yeah? And people are fascinated by that idea of oh, humans plus, humans 2.0. They could not script and write a show about a man or a woman who woke up one morning and discovered they were the son or daughter of the creator of the universe. It's too big. Evan Almighty and, you know, that Bruce Almighty, they don't come close to it. They could not script a show that said this person wakes up can you imagine it getting chucked out of the pitching room? It's just, it's too big. It's too magnificent. But it's not a show. It's your life. It is what you're called to. And I'm not talking it up. It's in the Bible. Your life should be magnificent, exciting, powerful, transformative, not just for you, but for other people. And I tell you again, if you're not a Christian, 
If you're not a Christian, this is what Christianity is about. And you will know it. If you pray a prayer or whatever you do to come close to God, you'll know it. When, when you know God, you'll know it. If, if someone drove a truck into here, we'd know it. If God is in the room and you're tuned into him, you know it and you go away, go away different. That I said about a quick word on church. Guys, this was magnificent. I loved worshipping with you this morning. You've got great leaders here. Church is, is not about, if, if all church is is a happy story about Jesus loving us and some lovely songs and a bit of emotion and friends together, you might as well have some friends around and get Frozen out on DVD. <laughs> Seriously. Use it as a... Church is about meeting with the living God. And I looked around the room this morning. I was so excited about what God is going to do. You, you guys are a turning point in your church life. But as, as magnificent as all that is, the most magnificent thing is that Jesus planted you here. Jesus has a plan for Sutton and to transform it through you guys. And you have to believe it because according to your faith and your expectation, God will meet you in that. He'll take you further, but he'll meet you. In that, a, a word for leaders, as I said, if you read Genesis 24, there's this wonderful story about Abraham wanting a wife for his son Isaac. So he sends his servant, the servant's got no name. He says, Go that way, go and find a wife for my son and bring her back. He takes gifts with him to go and get this bride. And he says, Shall I bring your son with me? He's like, No, my son will wait here. You go and get a bride and bring her back. It's an incredible picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. God the Father sends the Holy Spirit out into the world to gather a bride for his son Jesus who waits and comes for the bridegroom, the wedding feast that you read about in Revelation. However much you want your church to grow, the Holy Spirit is at it, way before you. He's more hungry for it than you. He's there and we have to live by him and keep in step with him. So how do we keep in step with him? Really, really quickly and then we'll respond to him as well. Three things really quickly. But prayer is basically, we talked a lot about prayer at the academy. Sorry if I keep rambling about academy. I've just had two days with Terry Virgo and Toppy, I don't know his surname, talking to us about prayer, and it was magnificent. It really was. It's, it's exactly what I'm talking about, but from two guys who've been doing it for years. Just getting away with God. Practicing, I put practicing presence, because there's two ways of practicing presence. You practice his presence. Brother Lawrence is, is like, he's pastored people for the last 400 years. If you don't know him, he's a monk who used to wash up dishes and loved God in those moments and wrote letters to his disciples that have been published and have fed pastors for the last 400 years. Practice his presence. He is with you. Tune in to him at every moment. You can never have too much of God in your life. He is your constant companion. Practice his presence. But practice your own presence. A great bit of advice I heard recently is be where you are. If you've got kids, you know the temptation when you've got work ticking around in your head or you're with your spouse or you're with friends and you're not quite there in the moment. Your head is elsewhere. Be where you are and where you are is with the Holy Spirit. So practice his presence with you because do you know what? He loves you so much he lets the world revolve around you sometimes. It feels like that. He doesn't mind. He's not going to rebuke you, beat you up, but he'll gravitate you back to where is God doing? I only, see what the, I only do what I see the Father doing. Practice your presence with him. Does that make sense? He's always active and at work. Life in motion. This has been a real learning curve for me, this is, but, but an exciting one. You will, you will always, always experience the Holy Spirit most powerfully when you actively pursue him, when you step out. Always. And that, there, there are words in the Bible uh, like Ephesians 6, stand firm, therefore, against the powers of darkness, stand firm. There's um, Psalm 46.10 is one of our founding stone uh, church, founding verses for the church from way back when 
be still and know that I'm God. Even in those, be still, stand firm, there's an active, be still, even though everything is swirling around you. Stand firm, even though the forces of darkness are arrayed against you. It's an active standing firm. And I tell you, stepping out in the Holy Spirit is what will activate the power in your life. I, I prayed for years, literally, to see people healed when I, when I laid hands on them. In the last two years, I've seen more than anything, more than I've ever seen. I've got doctor's notes. We've had two people medically confirmed of cancer being cured and another who just doesn't want to go to the doctor. He's a local guy, just a street kind of guy, um, but absolutely transformed from, from coming weeping to the church and saying, I've been given two weeks to live, bleeding from both ends, to within a few weeks of us praying for him and anointing with oil. He's back on his feet. He's been around for the last year. Still a chaotic life. Won't accept Jesus. He's quite rude about him, in fact. I've seen, we've seen people be healed. In, we had a Sleep Easy event with raising money for the homelessness. We had the mayor, a deputy mayor there and other people. And I met a guy on the bus who was limping, obviously, when he got up in his 20s. Three years ago, car accident, crippled his hip, walks with a stick and everything. We laid hands on him, three of us. People all around, walking around. And the guy got healed instantly. He's not a Christian. He threw his stick off. He ran up in the balcony. He tossed his back brace off and went and slept outside to raise money for homelessness. And I met him a year later. How's, it, how's the back and everything? Yeah, get the odd twinge when it's cold. But he's back doing his thing, doing sports and everything. Loads, literally loads of people. And it's not me. It's the church rising up and recognizing this power's there in us. It's latent until you step out. I learned this thing um, from God really spoke to me the first time I preached, actually. It's like if you, if you see a baby learning to talk and you see uh, a baby learning to walk, you're not going to be critical of it. Ah, that was rubbish. You fell on your backside again. A blah, blah, blah isn't real words. <laughs> God is not like that. God actually said to me, I want you to fail in faith. Because you can, you can tell someone who's never ridden a bicycle, piece of cake. See that? That's the seat. Sit on it. Pedals. Pedal them. That's the steering wheel. If you want to go left, turn it left, right, right. They'll be like, ah, easy. They get on it. You learn to ride a bike by riding a bike. You will learn to heal the sick by healing the sick. You'll learn to prophesy by prophesying. Again, Satan has tricked the church, leaves and no fruit. We teach people about this stuff where Jesus demonstrated it and sent his people out to do it. You can do it. Start praying for the sick. Who cares if, uh, not, let me get that wrong, it's painful when they don't get healed. Uh, I've known people even to die, like it is, how do you handle that? You, you just have to not be put off by it. You have to recognise God at work in different ways. And even when someone dies, he's going to bring some blessing out of it. He really will. It's hard to accept it, it's hard to pass the people through it. But don't let it put you off praying for them. I've literally seen miracles more and more and I want to see more and more and more. I want, I want to be like Peter and John in Acts 3. Who are, someone's begging for money, and they say, I haven't got any money, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Bang. You, you'll see it. You start doing it. We can pray for the sick this morning, but you'll see it. Life in motion. Here's another, just a little throwaway from the Gospels. Jesus loves reckless faith. Sounds outrageous again. He, the, the, this, this comes back to the Garden of Eden. We ate this fruit, which was called the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's still at work in you. You're thinking, shall I pray for that person? And you evaluate it in your mind. And you think, if he's healed, well, that would be good. But if he's not healed, that would be bad. The knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life that was growing in the garden, where God said they've got to come out of the garden because if they eat that, they'll live forever in their fallen state. It's so powerful, powerfully at work with you. You don't evaluate, you go with the flow. 
and you just step out and do. You've got people, Jesus is angry when the disciples don't heal the, guy possessed, the boy possessed by a demon. He's angry when people don't have faith. Even, even Peter, the guy gets out and walks on the water and then falls into the water and Jesus is like, ah, oh, where's your faith, man? I'm like, I'd be like, Peter, you got out of the water and walked like three steps. That's amazing. Jesus is like, where's your faith, man? You could have walked on water for the rest of your life. But he loves reckless faith. The, the centurion, could you please come to my house? Uh, can you come and heal my servant? Jesus is like, yeah, I'll come and heal your servant. And he sends word. He's correcting the son of God. Do you know what? Don't come. Just say the word and he'll be healed. It's like, I know better than you, Jesus. Jesus doesn't mind. He loves that faith. He loves the reckless faith. If you'll step out with right motives, don't even question them. If you're a son of God, I can teach my kids values. They get them more from being with me. If you're a son or a daughter of God, you've got God's DNA. Step out, be brave, be bold, and God will meet you in it. The little and large bit is just two dynamics to that, really. It is the David thing. Be faithful in the small. God will give you little promptings. And the quicker you are to respond to those funny little promptings, the, the, the more he'll trust you with big promptings. Like for me, a big one was, I want you to leave your job. This is before our first child was born. My wife had no maternity pay at all. And God says, I, I was offered a permanent role where I was. Came home that night, prayed, felt God say, you to say no and turn it down. And that meant leaving because it was a teaching role, no pay over the summer. But I went into the most amazing acts. If I'm honest, those five, six weeks, we, we got money coming through the door. I was like, Phew, God, I'm on the mountain. Jesus is leading me. This is so exciting. This is the most stupid thing I've ever done. I don't know if I heard. That's the reality of it. But God said, this is the first time in your life you've let go of the side and you're swimming in the Holy Spirit without any safety net at all. You're really, it's, if, you, if I don't come through, you're sunk. And, and he said, which frightened me at the time, I'm teaching you in this small thing. It felt huge to me because you're going you're gonna to be called to take bigger risks in the future and you need to know that I'll come through, through for you. And he did. So th- those are the, the two dynamics. So one, be obedient in the small promptings of the Holy Spirit, however ridiculous they feel, and he will start to speak to you about the big stuff. He, he, uh, another thing recently happened to me, praying in, the, praying in the Spirit down by the river before church. And I said, Lord, how do we reach these rich people? I'm looking at the Riverside Flats in Kingston. They're like a million pound a piece. And I'm thinking, Lord, our church life is like that. And their life is like that. They don't meet. They're not going to come to church lunch. And yet you want these people saved. How do we do it? And he said to me, as you turn your attention to the poor, you're going to catch the attention of the wealthy and they will come. Wow. That was amazing. Just a little thing. I wrote it down before church. That night... A woman came to my office before the prayer meeting. She said, I feel really stupid, really stupid, but I've got to give you this. She, nearly, she said, I nearly told you on Tuesday when I saw you, uh, this picture I'd had for you, and God said, don't tell him, do it. And she felt so stupid, but she gave me a gold box with a gold ribbon around it with 500 gold pound coins in it. It was so heavy. And she said, God says to you, money will come for the plans you have for the, for the poor. And God says to you that a pound is de- has been devalued. But the small things you do, cumulatively, are going to make a huge difference. I was like, mm. <laughs> but for her, I, I said, you, she's a living example of what she's preaching to me. Because God said, don't tell him the picture. How easy to dismiss that and say, I've had this picture for you. It's a gold box full of money. She could have told me that. God said, no. So she had to go to the bank and say, I'd like to withdraw 500 pound coins, please. <laughs> but she did it. And the impact on me was phenomenal. Obey him in the small things. He will trust you with the big things as well. 
The other dynamic to that little and large thing is this, and this is amazing. God really does care about the tiny things in your life. It is all right, this is the big debate of Christian time, modern times, it is all right to ask God to give you a parking space. I do it all the time. And, and do you know what? He comes through and I get a parking space every time. Even in Bushy Park when it's packed. Literally, I say with the kids, let's pray for a parking space. Bang, someone pulls out right in front of us. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that so that you get parking spaces. God, your Father, is interested in the tiniest detail of your life. He really does number the hairs on your head. He really does care about the big plans. But he wants you to know, if, if you're going to walk well with him in the big stuff, you need to know that he's so invested in the little stuff of your life. He loves you so much. He really, really, really loves you. So that's pretty much it. (laughs) Where are we going to go? Let me just encourage you again. Practice your presence with him and his presence with you. And if we've got time, have we? Or is it pretty much? I don't know if we can have another song or something like that. But let's let's just expect God to move. I don't know, Steve, even if you want to lead into where you think. But it'd be good to pray. God is here. He's let me ramble on. But he is here. And he's not here for all of us. He's here for you individually. So can I pray? And then I'll let Steve lead us into how we, how we go. Father, I feel like um, the UK is crying out, Lord, for Christians who will read the Bible and say, hang about. We need to see this in our day. I feel like that prayer in Habakkuk, Lord. We have heard of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. Renew them in our day. Father, I want to ask you even now that you'd speak to each of us, Lord. I've been so blessed to be here this morning. And Lord, I love sharing it with my friend Ricky coming, but I love sharing it with you, Lord. You're experiencing Sutton Family Church with me and enjoying the way I'm experiencing it today, Lord. I want to pray for that level of intimacy to be broken open in people this morning, Lord. I want to pray for faith to be opened up in people. And I want to pray for power, Lord. I want to pray that prayer for Sutton Family Church, the Acts 4 prayer. Lord, enable your servants in Sutton to speak your word with great boldness. And Lord, stretch out your hand to perform miracles and signs and wonders through these people here. Lord, let this church become a church of hundreds and even thousands of people in Sutton, Lord. And let your light shine brightly here and start with some of us today, Lord. But move us all on in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.